Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Find Your Feet podcast. Obviously, I'm Hanny Alston and I've been on the journey with you now for a year. Can't believe it's been that long. Today, I was fortunate enough to sit down with my colleague Jess to discuss the importance of hills and how to actually technically run up and down the hills. We actually did, though, start with a bit of an introduction about my recent mission to Federation Peak in southwest Tasmania. It was a 43-kilometre, very wild, very muddy, very wet, very cold adventure, but absolutely awesome fun. And we started out talking about this because I guess I've been coming to learn a huge amount about the importance of really knowing who am I when you take away your love of running and adventures and all things fun, who am I underneath all of that? And I found that when I had that understanding out there with me on the weekend, I was able to really thrive and play and enjoy myself and ultimately get a very awesome performance out of myself. So we started off with a bit of a random conversation around that and then we've driven right back into the elements of how to run uphill and then how to run downhill. And we finished with a bit of a flow of conversation that just came very naturally about linking that all back to the importance of nutrition and hydration. And that's been a big theme on the podcast for the last few months. Uh, I guess what we really wanted to say is that unless you're fueling your body, it doesn't matter how great your technical skills are, it can be really, really hard to perform. So that's today's podcast. I just want to take a moment also to thank the crew at Find Your Feet in our retail store who have been servicing a huge number of um, online customers and phone inquiries. And I think this is coming in from our podcast listeners. Um, they've been giving us some really great support and we're getting just a, an incredible flow of uh, gratitude and feedback from everyone about the podcast, the training resources and the services that they're getting at Find Your Feet. So if you haven't experienced that yet, um, you might want to have a look at our website, findyourfeet.com.au or give the guys a call and they'll absolutely help you with any of your gear or nutrition needs in there. Um, They're also very knowledgeable in the Tasmanian environment. So if you want to come down here and explore the trails that we have, as wild as they are, you may want to also pick their brains. Um, Also, for those people who've been interested in the Find Your Feet tours, these uh, tours are all now full for the time being, but we may be releasing some more later this year. So if you're interested in that, just drop me an email or send us a message on Facebook and we will follow up with you. All right, we might get started on the podcast. Here we go with Jess and me on Hills. catch up with you again because I feel like I haven't seen you forever yeah it's just been bizarre time recently we've all been off doing lots of fun adventures and working pretty hard I guess yeah speaking of fun adventures um (laughs) you went on a pretty epic adventure last weekend and it'd be cool to get a little download on what happened there because it wasn't just a little trip up a a little hill it was Federation (laughs) Peak in Tasmania which is a pretty epic hill um yeah what made you want to do that? <laughs> so somehow we've evolved into every Hanny Alston birthday that rolls around. We end up on some silly adventure. And a year ago, it was the South Coast Track of Tasmania, um, which had been something that I always wanted to do for a long time. And I just, I absolutely loved it. I had the best day out that I've probably ever had running. And I just, 
uh, I guess started to set a bit of a picture of like what I wanted to go on and do and the next thing that kind of came to mind after the South Coast track which um, yeah was a 93 kilometer adventure was Federation Peak which is Mm -hmm. probably one of the more remote peaks in Tasmania that has tracks into it yeah Uh, the top is like 600 meters right of just like sheer cliff yeah so there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to get in there not just because of the yeah just the peak itself but there's also been a proposal to put in a uh, dry boot so a boot sorry a track that you would never get wet boots on walking into the lake at the bottom of that sheer drop that you're talking about so it would be across 20 kilometers of muddy button grass plains to do it and so in my role in the National Parks and Wildlife Advisory Council and hearing this proposal coming across our papers on a number of occasions, I really wanted to go in and see what, you know, what the uh, the excitement was about and also what the challenges of that were. Mm. The reality <laughs> was was um, a lot of mud, uh, a lot of scrub and just an area that just makes your toes tingle if you love that remoteness. But, you know, when you look at it as a whole, it was – it was pretty awful, the yeah. terrain, and yeah. um, and my running buddy Dale on a number of occasions was like, I am never coming in here ever again. Not <laughs> even if someone pays me to come in here, I will never come in here again. Like it was just, just wading through mud and scrub and yeah. um, and then one, obviously once you get to the base of the mountain, then you have to climb up, you know, a thousand and something metres of mountain yep. onto some pretty hair-raising sort of uh, rock surfaces at the very top like big drops like you say below you and it was we hadn't just most awful conditions it was super wet super cold super muddy and yeah like I, did, I guess like in that element you um you kind of wonder what you're doing it but and I have to link the video that you guys took in the show <laughs> notes down the bottom because it looks like terrifying but also like it was a lot of fun. It looked like you definitely made the most of the weather and you were just like out there having a good time and yeah. did you experience any like any fear while you were out there at all? Oh, I, had, like- I had fear for probably a good week leaning into it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I Federation Peak, as much as I'm giggling as I talk about it, like it's definitely not a mountain to muck around with and yeah. a lot, like there have actually been a number of deaths where people have just fallen to their death off that mountain. Um so, you know, I, I don't want to hype it up. I'm not trying to kind of blow my own trumpet, but, you know, it is something that you want to go in and you want to know what you're doing. Mm. Um, so just in that element, it, it was frightening me. I'd also, I've had a few like little niggles in the Achilles um, since adventures earlier in the summer. And I was, I guess you always have that concern, is my body ready for this? Um, but I think a lot of listeners would probably um hear me when I say this that when you have a period of time where you're not doing a lot of these things you start to feel a little bit softer around the edges and I don't mean physically I mean like emotionally and mentally and so deep down I kind of knew that I actually really wanted to frighten myself I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and I wanted to remind myself um that I am stronger than I sometimes give myself credit for and see this as an opportunity to step up into not bigger adventures in terms of tougher, but just being able to step up and and not feel that fear as frequently, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, um, sure. So as it turned out, we 
were lying in the tent, sorry, in the van the night before and it's pelting down with rain on the roof. These huge thunderstorms are rolling through and you could hear the wind just like howling through the trees and we had something like two inches of rain in the 24 hours leading into it and even at four in the morning or quarter to four in the morning when the alarm went off, like you could just hear the rain on the tin roof of the van and I was just just like, oh, my God. <laughs> was there ever ever a moment of like, so like when you were going through those things, do you ever think like, is it more of like, why am I doing this? Or is it like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Is it ever like the difference between not doing it and doing it or just how am I going? It's to probably do it, not. That makes sense. It's not a not wanting to do it that goes through my head. It's more, should I be doing this? Right. I think like, what are the risks and what are, what is the result going to be? Because part of it was because we knew how shit, <coughs> excuse language, how <laughs> awful the track is getting in there just to the base of the mountain. Once you get to the mountain, I think like yeah. that's where the fun starts for us. But to have to slog through 20 kilometres of mud knee and deep? scrub, knee deep, knee deep, thigh crazy. deep in oh places, like awful. You know, we yes, we just kind of knew that we wouldn't want to go back in there again in the near future. So we kind of in our heads knew we only had one battle with this track in us. And I didn't want to kind of get 10K in and go, oh, you know, it's too wet, too cold. And also knowing too that you don't mess around with that summit in those conditions. And if we felt that they were too extreme, um, we might not, you know, we might have got turned around by the conditions as well. Yeah. So I was lying in the van at four in the morning and I rolled over and I said to Graham, I'm scared. Mm. And I I vividly remember saying that to him. And then I lay there and he sort of didn't comment so much and I just lay there and I went through the pros and cons of it and realised that fear shouldn't be the thing that stops you. You know, and I went through and I I rationalised it and I went, have I got the gear I do, absolutely, and I've got a new great raincoat, which has just been a game changer for me. So I knew I had what I needed. Mm. Do I have the knowledge? Yes, I definitely have the knowledge. Do I have the willingness? Yes, I have the willingness. Do I have the support? Yes, I absolutely have the support. Mm. So there was nothing stopping me from getting out and having a go. Mm. And I knew that the failure for me in that moment and my my definition of success, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, is like a willingness to go to the edge and to sit on the edge of that discomfort yeah. and I knew that the fear for me, for sorry, the failure for me in that point would have been to turn away from that fear mm-hmm. and not have a go. Um, so irrespective of the result, I mean, we ended up getting to the top and got back and had a really amazing day of it and, um, you know, as far, as far as we know, it's one of the only sort of runs that have gone into that area and we did yeah. it in daylight hours, which was pretty cool. But, um, you know, the, the success for me was, you know, just overcoming so much um fear to get out there and just have a go Mm. um and the other thing was like it was this I realized when I was out there like it really was for me a culmination of a really long process of like working out who I am what do I love what I want to do with what I love and my knowledge of myself and how do I be the best version of me that I can be and part of that is how can I then contribute to other people's journeys as well and I realized like if I hadn't done that groundwork over the last few years and then also everything that I've learned as an athlete in my previous competition life I wouldn't have been able to have done that Mm. like I wouldn't have been able to have laughed and smiled in the face of wallowing mud and the adversity of the conditions um I probably would have let the fear that hit me about 
3k from the bottom of the mountain like overwhelm me again and I probably would have turned around so there were just so many reasons why it was successful I felt a very strong connection with me and myself out there I then felt a real ability to play like I say under those conditions and then I feel like we performed because of it and it was it was the groundwork of who am I what do I love um, that allowed me to perform in that moment yeah I think yeah so it's like establishing that that first and then growing up to performing. Yeah, because definitely because yeah. I think in my past life I probably defined myself a lot by what I did, mm. um, whereas now I define myself by who I am and what I know about myself. Yeah. And performance is a byproduct of that really strong connection with self and part of that connection with self is the connection that I have with my, my home state of Tasmania. Um, so when you're out there in the scrub and the mud of Tasmania that's we're renowned for is just really like in your face almost literally. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that love for this place overwhelms any of those other discomforting emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, to me like that mission was um, was so awesome. Like I just, <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely have goldfish brain because I've got back and I'm already like, duh know like what next (laughs) yeah when you're out there you were like I really don't know how much more of this I'm gonna do but yeah yeah, it was very cool oh that's awesome um cool so I guess that's a pretty good like introduction to what we want to talk about today which is hills yeah and (laughs) running on hills training hills um Federation Peak is pretty much the epitome of a hill yeah 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 well I guess it is it's um it's a big hill it's not terribly runnable in most of it but you're right like the a lot of the um the training and the preparation for hills is not just a physical thing but it's also a mental thing so hopefully we can talk about that today yeah it's also not like your only experience with running hills yeah so hills have probably I didn't always love hills. You know, I definitely was, um, I came from predominantly orienteering, but, you know, in training for that, I was doing a lot of track running and a lot of road running and, you know, a hill, when they talk about a hill in those sports, they're, they're negligible compared to what we talk about in ultra and trail running worlds. Mm. Um, but I, what I, I think I did do as I learned to love the hills and learned to see them as I guess you know in my prehistoric days when I was quite competitive like a a secret weapon yeah yeah because if you're good and you're efficient at them you can make up huge grounds just for yourself even in terms of you know it can be the difference between finishing in the night and finishing in the day yeah yeah I remember when I first started trail running and um the friend that introduced me to it he said I said oh so do you run up the hills? He went, oh, no, trail running is just about running the flat and running down hills. You can hike up the hills. And I went, great, this is my sport. <laughs> so when I first started, I was just constantly hiking up the hills. And it wasn't until we went um, to Japan on the trail running tour um, with with your Find Your Feet running tours. And um, you started encouraging me to run up hills. And my original thought was, What? run up the hill (laughs) and so like from learning the techniques that you taught over in Japan like it totally changed my running game and I think that there's a lot a lot of aspects that we can talk about because I think you have so many great tips and techniques and and knowledge about uphill running so really like to um 
ask you a few questions yeah, about it. Absolutely. I'd love to share as much as I can. I mean, I, I don't necessarily see myself as an expert, but you know, over my athletic journey and then over the last 10 years of coaching people, uh, I guess I have come to learn a lot. But one thing I'd really like to set out right at the start Mm. is that the reason why I encouraged you and other people before that to embrace the hills and learn to run them is that it's very, very hard to get yourself injured on a hill. So most overuse injuries and impact injuries that runners sustain come normally from running on the flat or the down. Uh, So your landing forces are a lot lower on a hill. The other thing with running up a hill is that it's really hard to run up a hill with poor technique because Mm -hmm. gravity will push you backwards effectively. So it's a really good way to learn great running technique. The other thing with running hills, and I had this rule when I first started Find Your Feet when I was coaching a lot of very, very um, sort of novice beginners, um, so real like real beginners, was that it's the best way to build their fitness up without, again, overtraining them. Yeah. Because as we all know, when you run up a hill, your heart rate goes up and your muscles have to work harder. But even if you walk, your heart rate goes up and your muscles have to work harder. So what I kind of came to learn was that we set a ground rule that any hill that you see or come across, you really have to try to run and you can walk anything that's flat or down because what we've also come to know about running downhill and on the flat is, like I say, your ground forces are higher, so your injury risk higher, whereas when you start walking, they go away completely. Mm. So it's much much easier to recover walking on the flat or down and within 30 seconds to a minute most people are feeling absolutely fine and break back into a run again whereas if they were deciding they'd recover by walking the hills or make it easy by walking the hills they're not actually making it easier and they're still burning a lot of energy mm. does that make sense yeah I know so sure. if you were to take that over the course of like a long trail run or a long ultra and you just go okay I'm going to walk every single hill and then I'm going to run the flat and the down, you're probably actually going to end up burning a lot more energy mm. than if you run, try to run the hills, and we'll talk about when it's appropriate to walk, um, recover a little bit by walking just as you hit the flat or the down, and when you recover, then breaking back into a run again, you're going to feel a whole lot better. Yeah, because I think um, there actually is a huge psychological component of running hills, and it's this yeah. idea, and I think it was like I definitely felt it was like, looking up, seeing giant hill and thinking there is no way that I could run that. And so like, I wanted to know if there was any actual difference, like with, in terms of fitness, like if you could power hike up a hill, like how much fitness difference? Cause I always thought, Oh, I'm not fit enough to run up a hill, mm. but I was like pretty, I did hiking a lot before I came into trail running and I'd look at any hill and be like, I can, I can, power walk that like yeah. confidently yeah um whether there actually is much or is it like using different muscles and so that way it feels a bit more like um harder or so I guess what makes it hard is you're moving your body mass against a gravity force whereas when you're running on a flat gravity is constant it's just pushing at you do you know what I mean like you yeah you so you're not you're not trying to um, go against gravity. You're not trying to push yes. up into gravity. So yeah. that's what makes running up a hill hard. 
My response to that, and I guess being put on the spot a little bit with that question is, no, no, it's really good. It's making me think, is that if you're fit enough to run on the flat comfortably, then I would say and believe that you have the fitness to run up hills. It would be an issue with your technique and your psychological approach to the hills that's your roadblock. Yeah. Whereas if someone is really genuinely struggling to run consistently, maybe for like 30 30 minutes on the flat and it and it really is a fitness issue, then yes, hills are going to be really hard for yes. that person. But if yeah. you've got that efficiency down pack so you can go out and just go for that run on the on the flatter terrain, then you really you really do need to kind of yeah step up into the hills and really see them as a, as a place where you can get some really great gains. And that, like yeah. I say, it can be in your fitness and it can also be in your technique. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the reason why I sort of wanted to ask that question was because of the so the way you kind of lay it out in the guidebook is that you've already sort of built your base fitness Mm -hmm. you you've done your base training like you are genuinely Mm -hmm. um fit to where you were when you first started um and so for me it actually helped me to run up a hill when I was just like I can I can do this like I've built my base fitness and I I can do it like definitely I don't have to be some extraordinarily fit person to run hills there's sort of like a yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, the, yeah, so and if people who are listening haven't listened to the podcast that we did on base training, it would be probably really great to go back after this and have a listen to that as well because mm-hmm. the development of your base aerobic fitness, so that comfortable I can go for a run and chat to Jess while we're cruising along the trail, that sort of level of fitness is really, really important for injury prevention, first and foremost, and it's the foundation for your ability to perform on top of that. Um, But probably what I want to add, Jess, then, is I just want to clarify that you don't need to have that base fitness before you go and play on the hills, but don't expect that you're going to be able to run up every single hill if you have no fitness yet. That would just be a really hard ask, obviously, because of those, like we've said, those extra demands that are put on you when you run up a hill in terms of moving against a gravity. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you are really starting from ground zero with your fitness, I would still be hunting out the hills, but then I would be like, really intentionally walking some of them and jogging on some of them and alternating walking and jogging and until you sort of are getting more comfortable with your fitness because the hills are still, like we said, they're going to help you um, on a strength level, they're going to help your fitness base and they're also going to help you run more efficiently in in terms of your technique than if you just go and like plod the concrete bike tracks along the flat you know um you're going to improve a hell of a lot quicker if you jump on the hills as well yeah yeah so is that i think one of the main reasons why you would promote hill training so much more because it's a really quick way to build absolutely muscle and yes and and avoid injury Mm. avoid injury it's the biggest one and even for people returning from injury um and it obviously depends what injury you're coming back from but there's a lot of service or there are some service providers I should say who don't come from a running background who would think that hills are going to put too much loading on your body returning from injury what my experience has been is that running on flat and downhills will give you the greater risks 
often and that it's really important to get back onto heels even if they're very gentle heels quite early on to get your technique back get your forefoot landing back because when you run up a hill you have to run on on your balls of your feet mm-hmm. um you know so to get all those neural patternings back into play even if you're just doing very small amounts of it but i still think that the heels are a really great way to also return from injury yeah, yeah so i'm a full like you can probably hear me like i just if there was one element I could retain in my training and I had to get rid of all the others, the one element I would retain is heels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So I guess we could go a little bit more into technique now if you if you want to. Yeah. Ready. Um, the first thing that I had to really learn about, which I had no idea even what this word meant when I first started trail running, that's cadence. Um, I always thought that because I had long legs, that I should utilize my long legs and really stride out and, you know, try to cover as much ground per step as possible. And um, with my hiking, I found I was doing the same thing. I was really trying to, like, step out super long and, like, mm. and, and do it like that. And um, then I learned that maybe that's not actually the most efficient way to run. So could you talk yeah. a little bit about cadence? Yeah, and you're not the only one, just to have had these thoughts. And this isn't something that I, I learned reading in a book. Um, it really came from trial and error and experience and also watching some of the you know world's best athletes performing and really was pointed out to me when I started doing the sky running which is just basically running up the biggest mountain they can find and bombing straight back down again like it's it's the epitome of hill running uh and but then I when I started observing it then I started to seek out the science behind it and I looked at some of the studies done and one of the studies I looked at in terms of cadence and I'll come to what it means in a moment is it was done in America and they took the world's best athletes from the 400 meter distance right through to the marathon. And they pretty much said, uh, irrespective of what distance they run, what, what happens to their cadence? So how fast do their legs turn over every minute? I, how many steps do they take every single minute? Mm -hmm. And what they found was that irrespective of the distance, they all ran at pretty much exact same cadence. And that cadence was 90 steps a minute if you just count one, one of your legs, so your left leg touching the ground, or 180 if you're counting both your feet landing every minute, which actually, funnily enough, is about the same rhythm as singing row, row, row your boat to yourself. Okay. So if you want to know what that feels like, just sing row, row, row your boat to yourself as you mm-hmm. run along the, <laughs> along the road and, um, or the trail, and that's, that's the cadence that the world's best athletes fall into. Um, what made the difference between the marathon runners and the 400 meter runners was how long their strides were. So if you went out to try and run a marathon with the stride length of a 400 meter runner, you are never going to be able to do it, um, at the same cadence because it requires too much energy. You imagine like how fast you've got to propel your body to get over those long strides Mm. to maintain a cadence of 180 a minute, like crazy. Whereas the marathon runners had much shorter strides, but they were turning their legs over at the same pace. Mm. So they obviously weren't moving as fast, but they were able to sustain that for a longer period of time. And interestingly enough, when you start looking at then the top ultra runners, it's much the same as well. The funny thing with cadence was that what I've also come to to observe just through doing a lot of coaching is that when people, so people, um, so actually I'll go back a step. So with cadence, generally women have a higher cadence than men 
Um, if we take that 90 steps a minute, just counting, say, your left leg, men generally tend to fall below 85, even down as low as 70. It's I don't know why. I think probably the long leg factor comes into it. So they tend to kind of lumber a lot more. And the, the um, significance of that is they spend a lot more time with their feet on the ground. So they have a lot more time to lose energy into the ground rather than using that energy to propel them forwards. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 There, it's not that common for people to go above that cadence, but actually if you watch some of the Asian female marathon runners, they tend to to run at this super high cadence and it's above 90. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes them look like, like a bird, running like a little bird, like a sparrow trying to run really quickly. Yeah. Um, the significance of that is that they don't have enough time to put any power through the ground to propel them forwards. So it sort of becomes quite like fast and inefficient. Right. And it also means they spend more time in the air. So like I say, less time to be able to apply any power whatsoever. Mm. So cadence is like a really interesting thing. And if you hit that magic number, it starts to feel more fluid. Yeah. Yeah. What I also then started to observe was not just that men had lower cadence, but as soon as people sort of saw a hill, their cadence dropped. It was almost like a psychological thing kind of kicked in. And then they hit the hill and it just became like a lumber, like you said. Yeah. The thing with lumbering is, again, you have more time to lose energy into that hill, so less time to move over the ground. Um, Mm. So, yeah, so your your foot hits the ground, your energy starts to dissipate, so then you have to put a lot more energy in to move yourself up the hill again. So every step you're putting in a lot more energy than you really need to. Um, And then the other thing with the long cadence is that I'll bring in my primary school teaching here is that it's kind of like if – if I was like saying to you, Jess, um, I'm a really beautiful person and I'm buying you this gorgeous block and it's got a big round hill in, in, or on the block yeah. and I'm a really nice person. I'm going to build you a house at the top of it and right on the top of this hill and you've got beautiful views, but at the moment you have to park your car at the bottom. Now, when you come home with all your heavy shopping bags, Um, you obviously need to now walk from the car at the bottom of the hill to the house at the top. And I haven't built you your path yet to get you there. So I'm asking you, do you want me to build you a path that goes straight up the hill in these big steps and it's very direct? Or would you like me to build you a path that goes around the hill and it's just very gentle gradient, it's barely got any steps whatsoever in it, but it'll get you there to the top. (laughs) which path would be easier for you to walk up given it's quite a long way yeah definitely the gradually the gradual one exactly so why would a gradual path make it feel easier what's the significance of the gradualness of the path that you're not having to like defy the gravity thing again like you're not having to push up so much every time nearly. oh no I'm failing <laughs> yeah nearly you're not failing but it's a really important it is an important concept to get your head around when you're talking about cadence yeah. because the significance of these two scenarios is the straight line path is like taking big walloping steps up a hill yeah if you're taking big steps up a hill just like I mentioned the steps have to be big yeah 
So every time you put your leg forward in a long stride, you're biting off more vertical of that hill, if you can imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard. Sorry, guys, but we'll get there. So <laughs> if you take a big step up a steep hill, you'll notice that your four, your step that's in front of you is a lot higher than your back foot. Yeah. Whereas if you take a really small step, a bit like that, that gradual path that's going around the hill, mm. you're only biting off a tiny amount of vertical. Yeah. So if you take lots and lots and lots and lots of small steps – where you're almost biting off no hill, it makes the hill feel flatter. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've definitely, I've like felt it, the experience of it. So I like knew, I was like, I know that yeah. it's that one. I know how it feels. Cause um, then we got to the point where we were doing, we were practicing it and we were doing such little steps that it felt like, we weren't even like you were just not, it didn't feel like you were moving forward, yeah. but you were. And Absolutely. it was like significantly yeah. like less energy to, to definitely so for the listeners if you want to get a feeling for what this feels like if you take yourself back to a time where you're hiking up a steep hill and you you'll feel your quads really like having to push you and you feel like you're really stepping up big altitude gains with every step that you take and it it feels quite hard if you then like imagine that same step and you chucked in 20 steps into what once would have been one step so that you're almost like a sewing machine, Mm. like going up and down on the same spot with your legs. So your steps might literally be 10, 15 centimetres in length and you just like, or like the other way I talk about it is like a little bird, like a sparrow running up a hill. Um, You're biting off less hill and what you'll find is that, yes, your legs have to turn quicker but because you're not pushing up this gradient steep gradient so much it feels really really easy yeah yeah and for anyone that's going to try it and hasn't tried it before it does feel really silly at first like yeah you're just like what am I doing and <laughs> absolutely and if I was standing watching you I can say that what you think is small is not small enough mm. so it's almost like rather than setting yourself the goal of like how big and how quickly can I get up this hill it's actually like how easy can I make this feel yes. and how small can I make my steps yeah that almost is the challenge because you also put an emphasis on that center of mass so keeping yeah. your feet actually quite um in line with the rest of your body yeah um and how how that can yeah as well and this comes back to again like the same concepts that we apply when we're teaching people to run more efficiently on the flat but if you look at the world's greatest marathon runners they they yeah, um, they have like a tilt of their body posture, mm-hmm. so uh, they you sort of pretty much they look like a ladder propped against a wall in that sort of gradient of their body, which means that their hips are just over their ankle. So if okay. you were to like line, draw a line from the ankle bone up to their hip bones, they're pretty much perfectly above them, and then their torso is leaning ever so slightly further forward than that. And what that means is that as they run. Now gravity can actually, as because gravity is a vertical thing, it hits them on the back of their neck, shoulders, and spine. Mm. So that pressure is hitting them from behind and almost pushing them forward. And if they didn't have their feet moving underneath them and they stayed on that, they'd probably just collapse, like, you know, tip into the ground Yeah, because that gravity is pushing them forwards. Mm. So running is actually like a process of continual falling and your feet are just there to literally 
almost stop you falling and allow your body to keep rolling over in a forwards direction. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So I bring that in because then if you think like when you're running up a hill, if you think that the the reason why running up a hill is so hard is because of the impact that gravity's having on your body, then we need to do something to actually utilize that gravity. Mm. So if you tilt your hips and then your torso in towards the hill, like again, think of a ladder propped against a wall. So your whole body is a ladder from your toes right through to your top of your head um, so that you're not crumpling at your waist you're actually tilting from your feet onto the hill um, and leaning your hips forward then the gravity can hit you from behind on the back of your head neck shoulders and spine and almost it pushes you into the hill Mm. and then if your feet just do like a little scissor or um, sewing machine or sparrow action underneath it sort of allows that gravity then to effectively push you up the hill and your feet just stop that falling. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, so much sense. So, so <laughs> I guess the two principles we talked about are absolutely baby tiny steps Yeah. Um, and a process of just tipping, tilting, tilting just pushing. And I just yeah. think about push my pubic bone and my breast plate mm-hmm. in towards the hill. So you're nice and tall. You're like a proud butler just kind of pushing against Yeah. Hill. And that's um, for uphill and downhill? Mainly uphill at the moment, I think, is good just to talk about. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I'd just like to add is a third point. So we've talked about quick feet. We've talked about – so quick feet, short feet. We've talked about leaning. The third thing is that if you've then got gravity acting on you, you can start to remove some of your own energy that you've been putting into the hill. Um, so rather than you have to, like, push – your body weight up with every single step up a hill, you can allow gravity to work for you. Mm. So the third principle is just rather than thinking about pushing your feet down onto the hill to propel yourself forward, think about just lifting your feet. And that's a little side note on stairs as well that you kind of give for people. Yeah, um, absolutely. Who are absolutely. So if you are going up stairs so stairs as opposed to staircases I think if you're doing like a 200 meter vertical gain hiking up stairs it's probably going to be bloody hard to run up it and they'd probably just hike your way up and it's irrelevant but if you kind of are running and you're coming across short little stairs sections of stairs or and you know one or two or 20 and then you know it's going to flatten out again and you just want to keep your momentum going what we talk about is running to the base of the step so that your toe is right up underneath the step Mm. and then if you just tilt your hips forward and lift your leg your body just flops over the stair it's really amazing it's so so efficient so you run right 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 up to the step lift your other foot tilt your hips forward and over the step you go yeah Um, and then you just yeah can keep running so yeah it's exactly the same principle but I just think like it's all of this is a bit counterintuitive like I think we think that you get to a hill and you take big steps and you push your 60 odd kilos up that hill Mm. but if you actually go well I've got gravity and it can push me up the hill all I need to do is I guess facilitate that keep your steps really really short and just lift your feet just enough to beat the obstacles of the hill so you, you you're barely lifting them off the ground so the higher you lift the more energy you're going to use so just lift enough to kind of step over the logs and the sticks and the 
you know, um, gravel or whatever surface you're on, Mm. but just lifting your feet and allowing gravity to pull you up. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I guess I'm still technique, I guess, in a way, but the types, you talk a lot about the importance of like the glute glute muscles Mm. um, when you're running up a hill and having them activated. Yeah. So if you could talk a little bit more about why that's so important. Absolutely. So here I am saying that hills are effectively one of the best ways to avoid injury and yet one of the most common injuries that runners get is ITB syndrome and ITB syndrome is um, a tightening of the hip flexor muscle which pulls on the fascial band on the outside of the quadriceps so on your thighs and that attaches into the lateral and um, front aspect of your knee and it means that if it if your hip flexor winds up and it pulls on that band, it means it can pull your knee out of place and the tracking of your knee out of place and you get this really sharp digging, kind of knife-like jabbing in the front of your kneecap. Mm, um, yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> and it, funnily enough, it's not actually, like if it went on forever, it, I mean for a long while it would cause you problems, but um, given how much pain it creates, it actually isn't going to cause you a lot of like acute problems Mm -hmm. Um, it's just really uncomfortable to run through and the reason I talk about this is because the reason why the hip flexor winds up is because if your glutes aren't strong enough to create power um, and to also keep your body posture strong then your hip flexor tends to want to do all the work and it's also especially common at getting wound up in people who sit down a lot during the day Um, so people who drive um, or do a lot of office work mm-hmm. yeah is really common so um yeah so the hip flexor and ITB problem is probably the greatest problem that runners face now the reason I bring that up is because if you have lazy glutes so you don't have enough glute strength and that's not just your big powerful glutes but it's all the deep 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 glute muscles that are really important as well and so um yeah, then, then that hip flexor starts to work. And so that especially happens when people try to run up hills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so a lot of people say, I can't run on hills because I get knee pain. And it's actually not the knee that's the problem. It's their lazy glutes and the fact that their hip flexor is firing too quickly yeah. or too much yeah. that's causing them the problem. So glute strength, um, it's a really complicated topic because everyone is a little different in what they need to kind of turn their glutes on. But if you can't do basic one-legged bridging lying on the floor or um, you don't have a bottom, if you look in the mirror and your bottom is is quite flat and you don't have a nice curvaceous bum, then um, you can bet your boots that your glutes aren't working and you're then much more prone to these sorts of problems. And the other problem that's very common with a lack of glute is actually Achilles problems Mm. Um, because if you can't create power from your bottom, then you're creating power from somewhere else and it's normally the calf muscles when you try and run uphill. Mm -hmm. So it can cause an overloading of the Achilles tendon. Do you have any recommendations? I know you said everyone's a little bit different, but maybe um, some recommendations people could try to to start activating their glutes if they think that – this is something that's happening to yeah them. yeah definitely so I mean you, one thing you can do is you can lie on your back um, and bring your knees up so that your knees are sort of bent and like try bridging your bottom up off the floor pressing through your heels yeah um, and as you bridge up really focusing on 
are my glutes powering me up or can I feel my hamstrings or my quads trying to do all the work? Because right. if that's the case, then um, you know that your glutes are too sleepy. Yeah. Then when you're up in a bridge position, and you can and you can type into YouTube like bridging, glute bridging, and you'll find plenty of videos to demonstrate what I'm talking about. But once you're in a bridging position, then try taking one leg off the floor. Mm. And if you straight away tilt and flop over to the side that you took your leg off, um, or you wobble, uh, then you also know that you don't have the deep stability as well to hold you in that position. Yeah. Um, and then ideally try bridging just using one leg off the floor. And can you maintain an even pelvis as you go um, up? And again, like Google it and you'll find heaps of it. Yeah. But there's some pretty basic tests and, you know, but like I say, just look in the mirror. And if you notice that you really don't have like a nice curvaceous strong looking bum then you probably haven't got glutes that are doing justice for you and it's really important so if, if you feel that you have concerns with it it's definitely getting in to see a good physio who understands rough running biomechanics um, and starting to get some exercises and getting really religious at doing them before every single session that you go out to do yeah so 10 minutes of just waking them up and then go for your run and it's like doing the world's best gym session mm. um and the other thing i would say is still just be on the hills um so don't don't avoid the hills because you think your glutes not working because that's going to make the problem a whole lot worse yeah yeah yep so sort of like a alternate um what is the word ultimate strategy than like foam rolling because a lot of people think oh I've got I've got knee problems I need to foam roll and um you know maybe foam rolling works for a few people out there but my experience and again working with people a lot is it doesn't Mm -hmm. the um that band the ITB band that we've been talking about it's a band of fascia it's like it's um it's kind of I can liken it to glad wrap it do, it's not like a cushion. It doesn't have a substance. It's it's just like layers and layers of glide wrap yeah. down the side of your leg and it's there to hold your leg strong and to allow that tracking of your kneecap. What Where your problem is is up in your hip flexor. So if you're worried about this ITB syndrome, then getting out a tennis ball and rolling around on your hip flexor with mm. the tennis ball on the floor and when you find a spot that um, – gives you great discomfort and then it's just holding that point and seeing if you can allow it to relax off. And again, you can, there's lots of YouTube that we can find to help with this. Yeah. Yeah. I got a bit off track. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think it's important because it's, it's quite a common injury for people to have. And then yeah. it's a common thought process to think, oh, well then I just need to rest it or I need to foam roller and I can't And it will never get it. better. Yeah. Because you're sitting down on the couch resting or working more, or driving more, um, or walking more. Walking actually winds up ITBs as well. Mm. Like you tend to be quite hip flexor dominant. So it actually, and cycling, people jump on their bike and, and then that shortens them up even more because you can imagine the, the posture you're in, like your hip flexors on its shortest length. Yeah. It's not something that you can do by or fix by resting. You actually have to really get stuck into it, get some dry needling, get some like rolling on a tennis ball on it um, and keep trying to get your glutes strong so that when you, when you are running, you're not using your hip flexor, you're using your glutes. But just like if you are someone who's not really sure where to start with the hills, um, the first thing that I would do is just start just start running on them. 
you know, and and trying to maybe set yourself some new like little objectives. Like I, every hill I run across, uh, every hill I come across, I'm going to try and run. Even if it's got a drainage ditch that's flat, I can walk that. But as soon as it slopes up again, I'm going to try and run. Yeah. And I'm going to try and see how easy can I make this feel? Because everything we're talking about is not necessarily for that 10k hit a slight rise on a flat fun run kind of hill. We're talking about hills in long race longer races and trying to make the hills more efficient so mm. that you can maintain your efficiency through the whole race because the more you break in and out of a walk the more um, uncomfortable it gets so I guess we're trying to kind of yeah keep your efficiency but also use hills a lot of what I'm talking about is using hills in training so that you get your fitness up yeah so you can perform at a better level yeah um so yeah just to begin with, just start trying to find hills and run them. Um, then the second thing that I would do is when you uh, are building into maybe some tempo running, so that like uncomfortably comfortable running, so stepping up the effort a bit, tempo over hills. So, uh, you know, find some rolling hills and just kind of try and go a bit harder for a period of time, maybe start with 10 minutes and build up to sort of in that 30-minute mark of just comfortably uncomfortable running over hills and down and flat and sort of mixing it up mm. and then once you've kind of mastered that a little bit and you're feeling like your fitness is catching up and your strength is catching up then you can start doing more focused hill efforts so running up a hill for a period of time and I'd start with probably with that three minute and again it's not sprinting it's just trying to run strongly up a hill and still feel strong at the top and then just jog back to the bottom or walk back to the bottom and then go again. Mm. And that's especially good if you're coming back from injury that you just walk back down the hill and then just run back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of say to people, like, when you're doing those more hill efforts, like not doing any more effort than a cumulative 15 minutes or so. I find, like, after 15 minutes of intensity, so that would be, like, five three-minute efforts up a hill, you tend to start to lose your, um, like you just fatigue so much that you lose your technique and mm. you start to build in really bad habits. So I think kind of like a good strong 10 to 15 minutes of hills is a really good place to start and then do a warm-up and cool down and it generally ends up being an hour or so, yeah, yep. total. Cool. And also if we don't have hills, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a real like that's a really hard one and I feel really guilty talking about hills when so many people live in flatter environments in mm. Australia but yeah you can find hills like if you take into account that tempo concept then if you have even like an oval and you know how often they kind of when they're flattened out the oval they leave the dirt on the side and it's got they put some grass over and it's just got these lovely little mounds and stuff. If you just start tempo running around your local oval and park and just up and down little rises, um, but you're doing 20 minutes, 30 minutes of that consistently, mm. then that actually starts to add up quite well. Um, the other thing you can do is getting on stair, like a stair machine in a gym. I hate, I hate them and I wouldn't recommend them, but I think if you really don't have heels, then you need to kind of, Get Start, creative. Get, yeah, and, and learn that scissor, that the yeah. um, the quick feet. Mm. So, and you can practice that on a stair machine, like really, 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 really quick little steps, um, so that you don't have as much resistance. So you're forced into doing that, I guess, on a stair machine. Yeah. Um, lots and lots and lots of glute activity. So, um, 
and building right up to being able to do squatting and lunging and getting really strong. So when you do hit the hill, you have the muscles for it. Mm. Um, on a bike is a good way, but being out of the saddle on a bike yeah, because uh, it's quite a similar posture. So um, putting the resistance up quite, yeah. quite high. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And then just, I guess, trying to really get your fitness ready for it. So tempo running, some intervals, like trying to get you, you know, having to breathe hard and mm. yeah, work hard, I guess would be a really good way to go about it. So they'd be a few strategies that I would employ if I uh, didn't have the heels to play on. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't matter how small they are, just run up and down and up and down and up and down, up and down and tempo running. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, and I guess also with downhill running, this, I love this technique technique and visualization that you use of duck feet Mm. because that really helped me I when we were in Japan I saw everyone just flying down these hills and I was tentatively like oh I just got a thing and I was a bit flat flat footed if not like trying to land on my toe like stay on my Mm. forefoot as soon as you told me about the hill to toe rolling yeah I just it's like so much greater confidence and stability so yeah this is really this is a really interesting topic because when you look at the science of people running downhills, they they actually expend more energy running downhill than they do up comparative to how much they need to put in. Mm. And the reason why people put too much energy in is because they they have really high braking forces, which sort of they put their foot down. It's like chucking the handbrake on, and then they suddenly have to actually actually apply a little bit of energy to kind of propel them forwards again only to put their foot down again and slam the handbrake on again and, yeah it and that, feels as awkward as it sounds yeah, when you're explaining yeah, it because that's exactly yeah. how it is it's like oh my oh my god <laughs> pretty much and um and oh my god like knees and lower back just mm. hate hate that yeah not to mention just the the jarring effect of the gut system that happens in like the distress that causes over a long period of time so that's why sometimes when people start running down a the hill, they need to go to the bathroom. Mm. So I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but it's quite common. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, the joys of running. Why do we do it? Um, yeah. So I guess what I kind of was like really trying to work out is like how can we then remove braking forces? And the way I started thinking about it was like, well, when you get on a bike, you don't have this problem. Mm. You just get on a bike and you roll down the hill. So then I started thinking, well, okay, how can we make our feet more like a bicycle wheel? And the way I started to think about it was like if you like put your heel on the floor and you pull your toes up or your sort of forefoot up strongly so you make your foot quite stiff, it actually gives it almost like a slight curve. And that's why when you look at people's old shoes and you sit them on the ground, they actually have like a curve. They look like a bit of a boat shape. Yeah. 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 So a foot kind of can be a bit of a boat, a bit of a curve shape, a bit like a wheel. So I started then thinking, well, if we like go when we're running down a steep hill, heel to toe, heel to toe, heel to toe, heel to toe, um, effectively we become like we're rolling Mm. over our feet. And then if you, rather than leaning backwards, so it's really common if you watch people run down a hill, they tend to kind of thrust their back out and then stick their feet out in front of them yeah. to break. So if we want to kind of roll over our feet, then we need to get our center of ma- center of mass further forwards. Mm-hmm. So what I started saying to people is, why don't you just try pretending you're squatting down as if you're going to sit on a chair? So you get your bottom out the back 
but you bend in the middle and you get your chest further forward. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like you get a little duck bum sticking out behind you yeah. and then your feet are forward and you just roll, roll and roll and roll. And it was amazing because you can't roll over your heels, heel to toe, heel to toe, if your back is like if you're um, leaning backwards. Yeah. You just can't. You actually physically cannot do it. So you have to get your body forward. But what scared people was that they started getting too fast it was just like jumping on a bike and going down here with no brakes. It was like, oh, shit, no brakes. Yeah. So we had to find a different way of braking rather than leaning backwards. Yeah. And what I found was if you um, – the lower you get your bottom to the ground as you're going to sit on a low chair, the slower you go. And actually the more you stand up, the faster you go. Yeah. So if you stand vertical and you, you're like heel-toe, you'll be like flying down a hill like you're on a bike with no brakes. If you then start to squat down and get your body weight down, you can just instantly feel yourself come to a halt. Yeah. And so you can just start bobbing. So if you go too fast, squat down a bit, too slow, jump up a bit. And it's amazing. It's yeah. like so efficient. It's awesome. Yeah. I was getting flashbacks of like just the first time I ever tried <laughs> yeah. it in Japan and probably just having the biggest grin on my face. Like, oh, this is working yeah. so well. It feels like yeah. it just changes. Absolutely. So and the benefit is like when you get on a really rough trail and you, you do have to like you suddenly like something comes up and you're like, oh, shit, you know, I've got to slow down. Like mm. on a mountain bike when suddenly there's a ditch in front of you mm. and you grab for the brakes, you just bob down and you instantly come to a slow speed and then you just navigate around. It and then it opens up again and you just stand up and off you go again and it's like yeah. it's awesome it's really yeah. cool fun yeah really fun <laughs> <laughs> my final point on hills mm. is that occasionally yes you have to walk <laughs> um my rule for walking is so i'm running if, if i'm running up a hill and i'm like man i'm getting above the red line like i am getting really uncomfortable so I imagine like it is like this red line and below the red line it's like comfortably uncomfortable. I can maintain this. But mm. if I feel myself getting too uncomfortable and above my red line, first of all I think what can I do to bring myself below the red line? Can I shorten my strides? That's probably number one. Can I shorten my strides? Am I just starting to lope and not work efficiently? And so you try shortening your strides and you try increasing your cadence again and you just go along for a while and see how it feels. If you're still above the red line a little while later, then you're like, hmm, is there something else I can do? Is it the negative brain kicking in? When was the last time I ate something? And normally, like, you can try just having some energy, so a gel or jelly beans or whatever you use. Um, And sometimes that, like, the caffeine incident, like, it was just, yeah. Absolutely, no problems, well below the red line after that for the next few hours. It was great. Mm. But if you try that and you still can't get below the red line, then definitely walk, definitely, because you're probably it's probably just a very long hill, it's probably steep, or your fitness isn't there yet, and you just kind of need to respect that and just walk and just get up it as efficiently as you can mm. and then get back into your running. Mm. Yeah. But there's those steps that you can take. You don't just have to be like, I'm either running or I'm walking. Yeah. And like And don't just see walking as like failure. See it as an opportunity to get yourself back in your game. Mm-hmm. So you might need to use that time to put more clothes on or to take clothes off or to eat something or to drink something or to have a little internal chatter with yourself about like, hey, dude, come on, just smile. It's not that hard. Um, <laughs> you know, they so I think like a lot of people, like when they start walking, you just kind of see their body posture just kind of collapse in almost defeat and it's not the way to walk. Like if you're going to choose to walk, be purposeful in that 
time and enjoy it and use it as a chance to kind of, yeah, put your game face back on. Mm. Yeah. And finally, I think I just wanted to bring in a little bit of the nutritional aspect. Yeah, and it's really relevant conversation, especially for some of the Australian events, again, like Ultra Trail Australia or some of the big European races like UTMB that Brooke Martin, who was a podcast guest, did and talked a lot about, mm. where you can be literally going uphill for three or four hours um, or downhill for two hours. Like It's not uncommon in these races. And so if you are thinking only about nutritional strategy on flats, or you know, it's certain, you know, only only when I'm going uphill, only when I'm going downhill, then you're gonna you're gonna set yourself up for a lot of trouble, I guess, like you're saying. Mm. You do you are more efficient running on flat and down than you are going uphill for most people. Not everyone, most people. It's actually the world's top runners, um, and even like recreational runners who really honed in their uphill running skills can become very, very, very efficient at running uphill. And they'll just tell you like it doesn't feel any different to running on the flat and that's just a technique thing Mm. like we talk about um my comment on it is it's still just about reading your body like I think if you you shouldn't have these rules you you have to know when you're burning energy and when you need to put that back in you have to listen to your mind and watch out for the negative thoughts and whether you're running up or down or flat and you have those negative thoughts you need to take on energy Mm. now instantly (laughs) yeah Um, because I think the thing we were talking about was like um if you're especially with trail running when you're going down you think oh I'm not exerting as much but that link to the brain I still need to have my brain like absolutely aware of what's going on because I need to be able yeah when you're going faster too down a hill um, all the obstacles come at you a lot faster if you don't have the glucose then you just will trip and yeah I'm really glad you brought up this topic because yeah if it's flat and it's a fire trail or it's down in a fire trail sure you're just probably cruising um your brain is off, your body's pretty much off, and you're just kind of going on rope learning basically at that point, and you probably don't need a lot of energy, um, again, depending on what you've got coming up and what you've already done. But if you're on a technical trail and you're going downhill or you're even flat, um, your brain is working overtime to try and process that trail. And mm. your everything that your body is doing at that moment in time is being run by your brain. So if your brain doesn't have energy, uh, you're not going to be very good at it. Mm. So I, nutrition, the funny thing with nutrition is it's just, I know we talk about it a lot and we talk a lot about it on the podcast, but it's so important to get your head around how important that element is because mm. you can do the best training in the world. You can have the best hill running technique and everything going for you, but if you haven't fueled your brain to allow you to access that knowledge and training and education, game over. literally um and that was the thing i guess out like if we tie it back to the earliest part of this conversation with federation peak um everything we were doing in that first 20k was about trying to conserve energy and fill our tank ready for that mountain because when you get on that mountain and you're going up moss ridge it's like the world's greatest obstacle course like you're under over up sliding down logs up mud up roots up earth banks Mm. up 10 meter cliffs down 10 meter cliffs and you're rolling around and then you get to the top of the peak where you're on these huge exposed rock slabs where you've got like a 600 meter vertical drop below you and you you're cold you're wet you're running out of energy you know like you in terms of like taking yourself to the end of your limits you're getting pretty close so if you had said to yourself oh I just wait for the downhill to fuel myself 
there's no way you would be able to do that. Mm. So it's about like, again, like knowing your game plan, but um, yeah, but recognizing just how important that pretty much everything you're doing in sports nutrition is trying to fuel your brain so that your body can work efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Life-changing. Like life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. Even negative thoughts like my mission over the weekend, just yeah. like negative thoughts came up where my partner was like running quite close to the back of me and usually that's fine and suddenly I was like, can you just like in my head, I was like, <laughs> oh, he's just getting on my feet and I'm just, oh, so close to the thing. I was like, maybe I just need like <laughs> just to take a minute and it was like, yeah, the last part yeah. of a 22K run and I only had two Ks to go but yeah. it was even just like having that – and then I felt like, oh, now I feel like I can finish strong yeah. and I'm not like in that negative space anymore. It just makes it so much more enjoyable and I'm just like, oh. Yeah, it, it just it just really, I, I, I can't emphasize it enough. We like, love talking about oh, I, I could talk about it all day. But the other thing that we did too, and this was relevant for our heels, is, um, and you don't want to do it too early on, but recognizing if you have a really, really big, hairy, audacious hill standing right in front of you that you know you've got to get up and you're starting to kind of just feel a bit nervous, a bit frightened, maybe a bit outside your depth, maybe you're starting to feel the energy is just not coming up even though you've been really trying to refuel, have some caffeine. This <laughs> is my little like, I sound like a drug dealer right now. Um, have we did caffeine, kids. Like yeah. even when... Um, my partner's knee was starting yeah. to play up and I was yeah. like caffeinated gel and he's yeah. like but I don't feel like I need the energy and I'm like the caffeinated gel and then uh, we were just like woo and I was like mm. we were having a lot of like negative talk kind of getting close to the base of the mountain mm-hmm. we were like four three, yeah we probably were four hours in wet to the core was pretty cold mountain was covered in cloud was mud in my everywhere, every <laughs> orifice I think I had mud in it was just horrendous. Um and I went, you know what? I'm gonna try some caffeine. Okay. And anyway, if I've had the caffeine and I've done everything else right and I've put all my layers on and I've warmed myself up and I've eaten and I and I'm still having these thoughts about how friggin' scary that mountain looks, then I know that I have probably reached my limits. I had my caffeinated gel and five minutes later I was like I felt like a chimpanzee running up and down it was just so much fun like I've still got a grin and I was just like what is happening I'm like it's caffeine (laughs) and I had the best day out like it was just fantastic yeah yeah so it's the principles of knowing that you can love the hills and knowing that you can feel yourself on the hills well I think that that is Pretty much everything. <laughs> Quite a lecture. We wanted to Oops. discuss on training hills. Um, but I think it was all really, really beneficial. And, I mean, it definitely – we've sort of gone into depth more about what's in your um, in your guidebook yeah. and um, sort of then also the, your training principles. So there's a lot more um, – yeah, there's some little stories around yeah. there for, for people. So I think that definitely, fun. yeah. I mean, I really hope that is helpful, and I hope it gives you confidence. I I hope, really hope it's not scary. I think it's really about simplifying it and really learning to just love it and yeah. smile. And and sometimes you just have to smile till you fake it, like or fake it till you make it. Yeah, I guess is the the catchphrase with with the hills. Um, I just gonna, I guess I just kind of want to take a moment to also thank the guys that find your feet in our retail store mm. who um are 
incredible in their knowledge yes. and are just sitting there, not sitting there, hopefully they're not <laughs> just sitting but they're just there waiting to help you all. Yeah. And we're not there to make our millions, absolutely not with the retail store. We're there to be of service to our community. Um, and I find that people who take on the principles of what we are talking about here today, Jess, um, and other principles that we've brought into the podcast or through the guidebook or through the training plans, through the blogs, and have then sought out the expertise of the crew at Find Your Feet in terms of the product knowledge and the, the location knowledge and the skills that they have from their own racing experiences and put all that all into practice. They're the ones that kind of seem to thrive mm. the most. In it. So that's just not my sales pitch. That's a genuine, amazing gratitude because we're getting just a flood now of emails and success stories coming in from people who are starting to connect those two dots together yeah. and going, I need the knowledge, but then I also need the resources, like the support, the, the technical elements, the, yeah. often it's the gear um, yeah. to actually kind of succeed. And the other thing I just really want to say is like, I go back to right at the beginning of this conversation is just encouraging people to really think about like, who am I? When I take away, <laughs> like for most of most of the listeners are probably running, but your sport or your hobbies, who am I? What do I stand for? What are my values? Um, really like learning to recognize yourself and how to nurture yourself mm-hmm. as a person. And then going, what do I love? What do I really love? Am I doing this because I love it or because my best mate told me I should be doing it. Mm. That's really important because if you want it to be sustainable, you've got to know that. And the final thing is then like if you really want to perform, then you need to get these elements down pack that we were talking about today. Um, For the athletes in the audience, like I'm going to say it once more, you you cannot emphasise enough the importance of your nutrition strategies. It's so critical. Mm. Yeah. So... Awesome. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you so much, Han. Thanks, Jess. <laughs>